Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. I'm Lena Abijamra, and I'm your host. It is fun to be back with you. We're launching a new series today. It is a new everything, except same old me, same great podcast. If you've been here before, then you know how this works. Uh, we share all sorts of things. We try to keep it under half an hour. Uh, the goal is to focus on biblical truth for everyday life. Sometimes we do teaching series, as we're going to be launching today. Other times we uh, answer questions. I answer questions in a series called Dear Lena, which I'm working on soon uh, for a new series. Uh, but for today, I'd like to let you know that if you go to livingwithpower.org, you can subscribe to a daily uh, devotional that you get for free in your inbox. We call it Power Minute because it literally takes a minute to get through it. And uh, it's a great resource for the beginning of the year. Also, we've got a Bible study launching. You may have heard about it. And if you haven't, then check it out uh, also on our website. It's called Through the Desert. And I'm looking at the faithfulness of God through Scripture. I think it'll challenge you. It's a great study to do with a small group or on your own. Uh, hey, today I'm launching a uh, series that I taught recently called I Feel That. And the subtitle is Embracing a Biblical Response to My Negative Emotions. Who doesn't have negative emotions? Listen, every day is an opportunity to feel fear, anger, grief, shame, loneliness, insecurity. And those feelings are real. Every one of us has felt them. What we want is to be free of them. Uh, what uh, I see in scripture is that God uses those emotions to draw us closer to him and to deepen our relationship with him. So if you've longed for freedom from negative emotions, this is going to be a great series for you. When I look at one uh, emotion every week, I think you're going to love it. More importantly, I think you're going to learn from it. So uh, sit back or if you're exercising or if you're driving, uh, lean in and listen up. And I pray that God will use this teaching uh, to draw you closer to him. Hey, the negative emotions that we have, they're like a barometer. They're, they're meant to show us what's really going on in our hearts. And so the first week was titled, Why We Feel What We Feel. And in it, we really kind of went to sort of scratch beneath what has become sort of the, the, the impetus behind every teaching, which is our feelings teach us something about where we're at. They're meant to be an indicator. And God is using those negative emotions to attune us to the fact that we need to grow in dependence on him. And so we moved from that first teaching to fear. Week two, we talked about fear, the greatest enemy of all. And then we talked about grief, the unwanted but very welcome companion because it's deepening us and drawing us into a deeper intimacy with, with God, but also with others. Last week, we hopefully were freed from the, from the shame and guilt that we carry. And maybe even in the last week, you have accumulated more shame and guilt and let it go. Jesus paid the price for it on Calvary. You don't need to carry the shame and the guilt. You can let it go. But we've got a great few weeks coming up. Today, we're going to talk about anger, anger. And uh, I, I subtitled it Rage Age. And it is the age that we're living in. Everyone is so angry. And, and so the, the person we're going to look at is sort of using a poster child, Jonah. I called him the angry prophet. You're going to see why in a minute. We'll get to today's outline in a second. And then just to tell you where we're going here in the next three weeks, we're going to talk about loneliness, insecurity, and then being overwhelmed which is sort of a steady theme throughout every emotion. So many of us feel overwhelmed. So hopefully you'll tune in even in the busy next weeks because this is so important to us to grasp these negative emotions and to understand how we who claim to be followers of Jesus can be freed from the burden of the negative emotions and allow God to use them to draw us to him. And so anger is an interesting emotion. I woke up in the middle of night last night sort of thinking, I don't know why I was sort of thinking, how do I frame anger? Um, it's, this, it's this emotion that um, is, uh, actually, let me, let me just tell you point number one. It's a good balancing point. It's your anger is the most dangerous negative emotion you will feel. We have a lot of negative emotions. I talked to you about shame and guilt. I talked to you about fear. I talked to you about, about uh, um, uh, uh, grief. But, but anger, it, it's the most, in fact, fear, we talked about it being the most common emotion, right? We're all afraid. 
of something, but anger is the most dangerous negative emotion. Anger is dangerous. It can hurt yourself and others. In fact, anger, I thought about that overnight. It makes you say what you never thought you would say. It makes you do what you never thought you would do. And it makes you act in a way that you never imagined you, were at, you would act. Think about it. Think about the last time you were angry. I mean, I have too many vivid examples. I'm an emotive person. I'm passionate. And you can, again, some of our tuned up emotions, maybe, I mean, if you're a Norwegian or a Swede, you might be much calmer. I, I see some names pop up even in this teaching. Your temperament might be different. I'm more on the Mediterranean, Italian, Lebanese. You know, we're crazy already. And so you throw in a little bit of anger and it is like things come out of this mouth. Things come out of this heart that you're like, where did that come from? Now, where do we trace that? And if every week, as we've looked at these negative emotions, I've taken you back to where? To Genesis. Because it sort of all started up after the fall, the fall of mankind. God created a perfect world. No one was angry. Can you imagine living in a world where no one was angry? And then Adam and Eve, of course, um, chose against God. That's the best way to sum it up. They chose to eat the fruit, but the fruit wasn't the issue. It was that they chose to rebel against God. And out of it grew shame and hiding and and, and guilt and grief and all fear, all of these things. But you also see anger. In fact, Genesis 4, I thought this was interesting because 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 here's what we learn about. Remember, uh, Cain and Abel were the kids of Adam and Eve. They had two sons. And right off the bat, after the fall, we get to Genesis 4. It says that Adam knew his wife. They had this, you know, Cain and then Abel. And, and it says, in the course of time, Cain brought the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain, here it is, so Cain was very angry. He was very angry. And his face fell. And it's always true, isn't it? Your anger is reflected in how you look. Your countenance reflects your anger. You can tell. You walk in a room, you can tell if a person's angry. It doesn't take much to get the, the, the temperature of a household. If you're married, you're coming home and your husband comes home or your wife comes home. You, you, you can tell how it's going to be by how they look. And so indeed, we see that even in Genesis chapter 4. Cain was angry and his face fell. And the Lord in verse 6 said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? This is a critical question. We'll lean into it in a minute. Um, but, but your anger is a dangerous emotion. What did anger lead to? Well, if you know the story of Cain and Abel, and I think most people have this as a general knowledge, but in case you missed that, the Lord speaks some words to Cain. And then, and then Cain wasn't satisfied. God says to him, why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. Now, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. He kills him. He kills his brother because he was angry. Now we'll get to the why in a minute, but this is important, all right? Anger is the most dangerous negative emotion you and I will feel. No one, very few people, some do plan on killing their siblings. I mean, if they're psychotic people, like it happens, we hear about stories are all over the place and no one really thinks it's gonna go as far as it goes. Anger is this negative emotion that is quite dangerous because it leads you to say things. Many marriages have been broken because of anger. Many uh, parental children relationships have been severed forever because of anger and what comes out of the mouth and what how we act in anger. And of course, we see that even in Genesis 4, where it leads to the murder, first murder of a man and his brother. It's crazy. It's crazy. How? How did Cain murder Abel over? He was jealous of him because it wasn't even, it wasn't even Abel's decision. I mean, it was like God had decided what was the appropriate offering. And, and you can tease that out. We, that's a whole nother Bible study. But 
But the point of it is anger is a dangerous emotion. Now we see throughout scripture, people who handled anger wrong. Now you go, but is anger, we talked on week one about how many of our negative emotions are, well, I mean, in the image of God. And so some of our, now, though God has never sinned, you know, Jesus, of course, was God, man, never sinned. But, but this the idea, where do we get our emotions? Well, we're made in the image of God. And so some of our emotions are God-given. Anger is, is actually a God-given emotion. And so, for instance, you know, you might have grown up, you know, the advocates of anger would be like, well, the Bible says, be angry and do not sin. And so I have a friend who wrote a book on the righteousness of anger. And of course, we see God himself in Psalms chapter 7, verse 11. It talks about how God is, gets angry at sin and God is angry at evil. And so, so even though anger, again, is, is this interesting emotion because it has its place and that's where we'll get into the second half of the lesson. But, but, but I want us to recognize how dangerous it is. And, and here's the thing that you need to understand. The thing that you're angry about is not always the thing that you're angry about. I think this is important to sort of think about as you think about your anger right now or today or this season of your life. You might be walking through this COVID haze and post-COVID now, pretty sort of pseudo post-COVID, but, but that there is a general cultural anger. I think we see it all over and, and it can be like you can get on a plane. Someone can tell you put on the mask, right? Or whatever. Like that's now masks are not necessary, but for a while they were. And even now you might go somewhere and someone just looks at you wrong and, and they're wearing a mask and you're not. And you feel like there's this anger that ebbs up in you. And and I think it's important. And that's just, I mean, that I don't even, I shouldn't even bring up masks. There's so many other examples, but, but, but the thing that we're angry about is not always the thing that we're angry about. Most people weren't upset about just a mask. It was the spirit behind the mask. There's, there's a layer behind it. It might be a political thing. It might be the feeling of loss of freedom. It might be, the well, well, you gotta explore why is it that you're angry? What's behind the anger? The thing you're angry about is almost never the thing that you're angry about. You come in and you kick the dog, well, it's because maybe somebody cut you off in traffic, maybe because your boss, you know, gave you a review that wasn't up to par. You had a patient that said something to you that, you know, there's always a thread of it and you gotta get to the root of it. What is the emotion beneath that anger? I think the minute you understand that, there's so much freedom in that. And the most important thing to do when you're angry is to dig past the surface of your anger. Now, anger in and of itself, when you get angry about something, okay, let's kind of break that down a little. It is a moral emotion that says, this is wrong. Okay, most of the time, if you get angry at something, there's a spirit in you that wells up says, there's something wrong here. This isn't right, right? And so we're making a judgment. Anger proposes a judgment over a situation. So when you kind of go, well, is anger wrong? When you talk about, well, God gives us, you know, God was angry at sin and, and be angry and do not sin. And Jesus turned the tables over. And so there's, is anger always wrong? Well, well, it depends. I think this is important because it is an anger that can easily turn into a very horrible negative thing. Be angry and do not sin. The problem is what happens between that first part of the verse and the second part of the verse. That's in Ephesians chapter four, verse 30, by the way. You can look it up later. But but anger makes a moral judgment that the, this, whatever this is, is wrong. There's something, this is wrong. I always joke about the customer service stuff because that seems to trigger my anger buttons. There's a situation, you get gypped, you know, you, you get, you, you, your credit card gets charged and you don't think they should. And so you, you call them and you're upset. This is wrong. How could you charge me? How could you do this? I, I hear this on, on, on the, my, I work in telehealth. I mean, people, I'll go through an entire thing. I won't give people antibiotics. How could I pay 30 bucks? You're not going to give me a medicine. This is wrong. I'll hear that regularly. And, and, and of course, 
they're not right. So there's a moral judgment of a person's perspective on what should have happened. And so there's a, an expectation, actually a great verse to think about in this context is in James chapter four, verse one. And I know I'm jumping around a little bit right now. We're gonna land in a minute on, on Jonah for a second, the story of Jonah. But I think the base of this is important. In, in, a lot of our anger is driven out of a sense of what we desire and our expectations that are tied to that desire, right? And so James chapter four, We're told, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Fights are born out of anger, right? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. There's an expectation. You wanted something, you don't get it. You desire, you do not have. So you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you can go on and talks about prayer. Now, this is so interesting. And so I've, I've written so much about this idea. And I think every lesson that we've done, specifically initially when we talked about fear and emotions early on in the presentation of, of these negative emotions, so much of what comes out of our life is what we expect and what we're living. Our life is not what we expected it to be, so we're angry. This is what happened in COVID. People had a certain expectation of how things should have been. How could the government do this? How could the CDC do this? And they blamed it on our family. Why? Because they were angry. Why? Because this was not in our script. Nobody wanted to cancel the proms. Nobody wanted to skip the first semester of college and miss their sports. And oh, it could be big things, little things. We had an expectation and it didn't happen. So we got angry. But in that is a moral judgment. It's us saying this is wrong. Now, Jonah is a fascinating study in anger because he was, by the way, an angry prophet by the Bible's admission at the chapter four. We'll, we'll get to it. But the story of Jonah, and if you want to turn in your Bibles to one place, land there, and then I'm going to give you a, a contrast at the end of the teaching of somebody who handled his anger rightly. But Jonah's interesting because he's not like, like taking a bath and knocking things down. No, his anger is a lot more passive aggressive and controlled, right? And so the story of Jonah is that God tells Jonah to go and share the gospel, to share the story of, of God uh, with the people of Nineveh. The problem is that Nineveh are evil people. Uh, it's almost like, and, and I hate to, you know, but it's almost like, like now we're looking at what's happening to Russians. Of course, the Russians, some of them are victims, really, but but the government, it's like, it's like going there to help them when the Ukrainians are being victims, right? So it's sort of like this, wait, why are... Nineveh, they're so evil. All they've done is destroy others. And, and God wants him to go and be a, a missionary there. And, and Jonah doesn't like that. Why? Because Jonah has a sense of what's right and wrong. And interestingly, Jonah's assessment of the people of Nineveh was not off. They were evil. It was his response to the anger that was a problem. In fact, that's big point number two. We only have three points today. Let me just give you some of that, unload some of that. The first was your anger is the most dangerous negative emotion you will feel, can lead to murder and death. We see that in James. We see that in in Genesis. But we also see it, by the way, Jesus himself tells us in the Sermon of the Mount, and you can jot down the reference. Um, I had a thing in my Bible. I'll just, but when he talks about anger, Jesus in in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, verse 21 through 26, he compares anger to murder. He says, you have heard it was said to those of old, you will not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift, he goes on. I'm not gonna read the whole thing. The point is Jesus says like, you being angry at someone is like you murdering them. And, and of course, the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is that we cannot keep that standard. We need him, we need Jesus. But, but still, follow with me. This is a dangerous emotion that will lead to death in some form of capacity if you don't learn to rein it in. And so the second big point is your anger is not your problem, but what you do with your anger usually is. All right, there's good anger in the Bible. Jesus did overturn 
the tables at the temple. He was angry at sin. The greatest gift that we have is that God was angry at sin. That's why he sent Jesus to die for us on the cross. And so his greatest point of love was his greatest point of anger. But it's an anger that was righteous. And, and righteous anger is a good thing. And we, we see evidence of judgment throughout the pages of, pages of Scripture. And many people are like, how could God kill all these people? He wasn't killing them. People are already dying. Like the whole world is dying and on their way separated from God. It was God's mercy that sent Jesus in order to die for us. And so it's not our anger is not the problem. But what we do with it is the problem. And so we see Jonah, now the word of the Lord. And if you're reading in Jonah, if you have your Bibles open, I'm just going to kind of summarize those first few verses. I'm not reading the whole book. Don't worry. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He doesn't yell. He doesn't have a fit. Some of you, it's like, I'm an emotive person. And if I get mad, you're going to know it. But there are many people who go, well, I'm not like that. I don't have an anger issue. But you're like Jonah. He didn't yell. He didn't bang things upside the head. He was very quiet and passive in his anger, but make no mistake, he was angry. And so let's not get self-righteous about our anger because it can easily be like, well, you know, you could see a married couple and one of them explodes and the other shoves it in and they can be equally with that anger problem, right? It doesn't have to be like, oh, she's explosive, therefore she's the problem. No, no, the anger problem is a heart problem and how it presents might look different, but the issue is still a heart issue. So for Jonah, he, his response to anger, remember, anger makes you do things that you never thought you would do, say things that you never thought you would say. Jonah gets in a boat and goes the 180 degree opposite direction of what God wants to do. Imagine God is telling you, I want you to do A, and you're like, okay, I'm going to find B and I'm going to do B. Like, you have to have some, this is bold, like to, to literally run away from God. What did he think? Well, well, we know what happened. God sent a fish to eat Jonah and keep him in the belly of the whale for three days. But, but before we get to that, he rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He says, enough of that. He's angry. He's stewing. He goes down to Joppa. He finds a ship and he thinks he's off the hook. But we know that that's not what happens. And so he eventually gets thrown off the boat because there's a storm that's really bad. And, he, and so this is interesting because it looks visually as if Jonah is changing courses, right? Initially, he comes out of, you know, he prays to God in the, in the belly of the fish. And in Jonah chapter two, he has a beautiful prayer where he sort of repents. And, and, and anger, by the way, can be a lifelong problem and it can take a while to, to, to work through. And you might think, well, I'm repenting of anger now. And so he prays this thing and God, of course, takes that, lets the, the fish spit him back out. Where? To Nineveh. God doesn't change the plan just because Jonah's angry. God is going to change his heart. He's not going to change his, the circumstances. He's going to change Jonah's heart. And so at the Lord, in end of chapter two of Jonah, the Lord spoke to the fish and it um, vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And so now you might say, well, okay, things are working out for Jonah. He repented. He was angry. He hid. He didn't beat things up. He hid from God. He tried to be passive aggressive in his anger. And, and then he dealt with it. He prayed a prayer and God took him out to go back to Nineveh. And so the plan didn't change. And now here's the test. How's Jonah going to respond with his anger? Well, Jonah goes to Nineveh. He preaches the gospel. And guess what? There's a revival. Everyone gets saved. Everyone gives their life to Jesus. They, uh, and you might be like, this is amazing. This is like the best news in the world. Imagine your greatest enemy is now rejoicing in the Lord with you. Okay, except Jonah's not happy about it. Why? Because Jonah's heart has not changed yet. He's, his words have changed and his actions look like they're different, but his heart is angry. How do I know that? Well, let's keep reading. Um, at the end of chapter three, God saw what, so they repented and God saw what they did. They meaning the people of Nineveh who the leader of them, he, they were in sackcloth and ashes and they, they cried out to God and basically God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. 
God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Now here's chapter four of Jonah and I'm honing in on, on the anger part. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. Here's this angry prophet who looks like had went through so many different circumstances. He said the right words. He did the right thing. He went to Nineveh and he preached the gospel and a salvation happened. There was even fruit of the gospel, but guess what? His heart was not right. I think this is really interesting because I think that's a problem for many of us. Many of us are not actually physically murdering someone or like, we're not like Cain and Abel and we're like, you know, I'm not that bad, but, but we're like Jonah. Things are happening in our life. We fake repentance or maybe we even mean it at a certain level. But the truth is when your heart is revealed, you're just as angry as Jonah. I know because I've been there. I get there. I, I, I can get stuck there. And, and, and of course, chapter four of Jonah, I've written about it, by the way, in my book, Fractured Faith, an entire chapter called Is God Fair? That I kind of dig into the story because it's riveting to me because God is committed to dealing with Jonah about his anger. And so, and so your anger is the most dangerous emotion. Let me just review a little bit here. Your anger is the most dangerous negative emotion you will feel. The thing you're angry about is not always the thing you're angry about. And so what was Jonah really angry about? Jonah was mad, not because he had to go to Nineveh. Jonah was mad, not because his plans changed. Jonah was mad, not because the people of Nineveh repented. Jonah was mad because he felt that the people of Nineveh deserved to die. Jonah was mad because God was merciful to his enemy. Jonah was mad because he felt like God was not fair in that moment. And so anger is this moral emotion that says this is wrong. Anger is an expression of refusing to accept what's happening in your life. And it puts me as judge over what's right and wrong. That's what Cain did. Cain decided in Genesis 3, how could God okay Abel's offering and not mine? I believe my offering is just as good. I'm going to kill Abel because I'm so mad about it. He wasn't mad at Abel. He was mad at God. He was mad at God for not agreeing with him on what was appropriate and what was not. And so, so there's all sort of like what looks like a horizontal relationship with anger really is a vertical problem because you're putting yourself as the judge of the universe and forgetting that God is indeed the judge. So if God sees the potential for Nineveh to, to turn now, I'm jumping to Nineveh, I'm sorry, I'm just kind of using both of those illustrations, but I think there, I think some of you will connect with one story or the other. But the story of, of, of Nineveh and Jonah is so interesting because God is the judge and God has already predetermined and knows in his sovereignty that there's going to be a work in the people of Nineveh, and yet Jonah has made himself God. And this is so much at the root of our anger. We might get mad at small things. You might be like, well, I'm, not, I'm only mad about the credit card bill that was billed. Listen, what is underneath that anger? What, you're not mad about the credit card bill. You're mad because you were financially secure, and now for a minute, you something you didn't expect. Remember, it has to do with desire and expectation. And your expectation was that you had more money in the bank. And if they took out that money, now it doesn't seem fair. And now there's this, oh my goodness, am I going to make it? Because I thought I was going to have a little bit more money. And so you kind of trace back. It might even go back to fear, maybe an insecurity over your finances. What is at the root of your anger? And then who made you judge? You know, And like there has to be some space. In fact, when you think about the space, you think about what is the antidote to anger? Believe it or not, the antidote to anger is not peacemaking. The antidote to anger is humility. The antidote to anger is humility. It's admitting that I'm not in charge, that I might not have all the answers, that I'm not God and there is God and God sees and knows and is in control. In fact, much of scripture that is so encouraging in that capacity is, uh, of course, the famous verses, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
I must give you a great analogy of that at the last few minutes of our teaching of a person who did indeed abide by that and how different the outcome was. The story of Jonah, by the way, has a very sad outcome because he sits underneath a tree. He's bemoaning his lot. He's angry. He can't reconcile how this God cannot destroy his enemy and God confronts him with it. And he says to him, Jonah, how could you be so mad? And he gives him this object lesson. He puts a tree that dies and, and you got you got to read it. But but by the end of it, the, the, the story ends with the sort of, oh, you, you don't quite get a punchline. You don't have closure. And the assumption is that Jonah wrote, this is what biblical uh, commentaries say, that he's the one who wrote the book of Jonah. And so the thought is that indeed he did come to a point of repentance, but, but we don't know that at the end of the book of Jonah. It's left hanging of this man who had this interaction with God and God confronts him and shows him his heart and end of this book. And, and it sort of leaves you with this, what happened? And, and I believe some of that even is the mercy of God have given us space to, to repent. And so anger puts me as, ju as judge over what's right and wrong. At anger, um, the problem with unharnessed anger is that it will inevitably lead us to sin and sinful anger seizes this high moral ground. Okay, so that's sort of the, this, this side of anger. Now, now the best antidote to anger is humility. And so what, how, how do you change? So, so what, you know, what do we do in that moment where we're, we're, we're you know, our blood pressure grows from, you know, zero to a hundred. You're like, you know, you sort of, all of a sudden you feel it. Your head is going to explode. You feel your, you know, I know the feeling, right? You just, you just feel like all the blood's flowing through your head. You feel it pounding. You're like, something is wrong here. And so the best thing to do when you're in this place of anger is to indeed slow down. It's to slow down. It is to slow down. It's the same thing we talked about with fear. In fact, so much of the negative emotions that we fear, that we feel in our life, when we get to that place where I feel that, the best thing to do is to slow down, not to react. It's to back up. It's to slow down, and uh, and then ask yourself some questions. Why am I so angry here? That's a good question. Write it down. Um, also, follow the thread. Take that mental path down. What is the outcome of this anger? I mean, think about it. What is the outcome of this anger? You get mad at, at the customer service rep, as an example. Where is it going to end? The person doesn't care at the end of the line. The end of, the end of it will be a conversation that ends. You might get your money back. You might not. But, but you've lost your testimony, as an example. I mean, you, you can carry that over to your job. Where is it going to end? I mean, if you go down that path of war with the people around you, I mean, think about it. Even if you don't lose your job over misappropriate anger, and nowadays people are losing their jobs over it, you've lost your testimony. You go over it in many ways. You know, you, you, you play out the rules. So why am I angry? Try to dig into this. But then where is this anger leading me? Like follow the steps down the path a little bit. I think too often we don't think about the consequences. By the way, that can be said to be true about any sin in our life. And follow the steps. If you're somebody who was telling me today about dealing, you know, dealing with, with some clients that they're working with who are struggling with pornography, and we sort of were reflecting over a lot of the sin that happens in our church culture. And how, how do we get so stuck in it? Because we don't follow the path. What happens if you keep going? I mean, sin blinds you to the future. It sort of makes you think that the, the moment you're in is the only moment, but, but there is a consequence. And so follow that path a little bit. And then ask yourself, am I upset about what God is upset about here? So when you think about righteous anger, so, so okay, let's talk about righteous anger. There are some things worth being angry about, and you can start making a list. You can start writing it down. I mean, I can... Think of a million things. I spent 28 years of my life in the pediatric ER. You don't have a heart if you don't feel angry at anyone who would dare lift a finger and hurt a little child. It's happening all the time. How can you not feel utmost anger against someone who sells their kids for 
sex purposes or for money, for any purpose for that matter. It's happening all over the world right now. How can you not be angry at, at ISIS? A few years ago, we went to help the Syrian refugees. I did a show today, a podcast, and told the story of what we did with the Syrian refugees. And I remember them showing up from Syria when ISIS was going through and chopping the heads off people and like hanging them in the, in the city streets as a threat to the people who live there. How can you not be angry at abhorring sin in this world? You wouldn't have, I mean, we have this, the image of God in us. We have the spirit of God in us. And it is natural to feel absolute and utter disgust over certain things. It would, we would be inhuman if we didn't. But the big question is, am I upset about what God is upset about? See, we get really upset, but, but we're upset at each other for things that sometimes don't really matter. Or maybe, or maybe we think we're fighting a battle for God, but it's not the right battle for God. And so I think it's really important to be honest about that. I, th I think this is being played out in our culture right now with when you think about like the church battles and the partisan battles. And, and, and as an example, like right now, you know, the Roe v. Wade thing is big in the news. And of course, we need to be angry that babies were, are be, have been being murdered. And we'll continue to do that. Of course, we need to, to stand up for the truth in that. But some of the debates that are happening and the anger that's being spewed one, from one side or the other doesn't even seem to be about the babies anymore. So toxic because it's just it's like you you have the one thing that we should be mad about but we're taking it into all these other branches of the trees and i think it's important to sort of back up a little bit slow down and back up and say where's this anger leading to and now in that are we really upset about what god is upset about or are we just upset because our point our point wasn't won or our opinion wasn't represented and now you can move past that I'm not, i don't want to get caught up in a debate about abortion but i'm just saying i think it's so important to to go back to god's word and to see god's heart and say are we upset about the things that god is upset about and and i would venture to guess the majority of things that we are angry about are not what god is upset about and uh, god was not upset about nineveh turning to him it, Jonah was, God was not. God was upset about their original sin, but God had plenty of mercy and compassion to them. And so and, the, and if, so, why am I angry? What's the outcome of my anger? Am I upset about what God is upset about? And the fourth question to ask when you slow down in your anger, what if I'm the problem here? <laughs> That's a tough question because most of us don't think we're the problem, but what if I'm the problem here? So take the log, Matthew 7, 15 teaches us to take the log out of our own eyes. Uh, here again, in fact, I can just um, take you to Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. What a great um, sermon Matt here. Beware of false, pro uh, no, 7, 5, sorry, 7, 5. Uh, he says, you hypocrites first. Okay, let me back up a little. Why do you, um, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. This is Matthew 7. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is huge. This is the words of Jesus. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than this. Um, I love, you know, James is, uh, the, the man who wrote James is the brother of Jesus, and he said a lot about anger, I think, growing up with Jesus. He probably learned a few things about how to respond. And one of the most famous uh, verses about anger is in James 1. I think that's probably the one that I was quoted. Well, we were quoted a lot of Ephesians 4. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Uh, the importance of forgiveness in, in relationship. But another one that I heard a lot growing up that is one that we ought to be remembering in this age is the brother of Jesus wrote these words. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to to anger quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger and it's it's true god's given us two ears and one mouth and anger grows out of this 
fastness, fastness. So slow down, slow to speak, slow to anger, slow down. It takes humility to slow down and say, what if I'm the problem? What if I'm the problem here? And, and I wonder if, if those are the only things we did today, how that would change us. So the only way to overcome anger is to recognize that you're not the one in control. You're not the one in control. I go back to James chapter four that talks about this idea of desires. It's all, what do you desire the most? You ask, but you do not have, you know, go back to James chapter four where he says, uh, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. You desire, you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot abstain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And uh, you wanna get over your anger, uh, understand you're not in control of, of, of your life. And we think we are. And I think the rude awakening for most of us is this realization that there is a God who loves us, who has a plan for our life. And even if it doesn't look like things are lined up in the way that we thought they were, they should be, again, thinking about expectation and desires, this God who loves us, who's in control of our life, so many of my plans in life, even more in the very recent near now, I'd say past, but even present, haven't turned out, things that I thought would turn out a certain way have not turned out in a certain way. And, and you can get mad about it or you can acknowledge, God, I'm not the one in control here. I yield this to you. And so when you speak about yielding, and so you kind of go, well, how, do I, how, do, how does this work? And so it's funny, I did, I did a podcast with Diana on rage recently. And uh, what's funny about that podcast, I, 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 we were talking a little bit about how I have handled anger. And it's, I don't think it's a bad strategy, but I was thinking in preparing this lesson that it is maybe not the most biblical uh, in fact, today I read a Paul Tripp thing about anger and I, I got convicted about it because in the podcast, I was saying how my strategy to overcome my anger now is I just don't get on the phone with customer service reps. In fact, I let her call or you know someone else if I can, or I just don't deal with them. I just pay the bill or whatever. But, but I found that avoiding, it's like almost like an alcoholic who doesn't go to the bar. And to a certain degree, that's okay. Like you're setting boundaries, you know yourself. But, but Paul Tripp's point was, Anger is not, I mean, how we deal with our anger in the Christian walk is not just about behavior modification. You don't have to know Jesus to never call another customer service representative, never go into a bar anymore or buy alcohol. And you can, in the strength of your flesh, uh, live a certain way that does not get angry or does not fall into sin. I mean, to a certain degree, you can, I mean, obviously anger can manifest itself in a whole lot of other ways. But I think it's important to make that distinction because what Christ has paid for on the cross and what Christ has promised a Christian is not just you can act differently or you can avoid certain things, but it is you are made different from the inside out. You are spirit-filled and the work that happens in us, the change that happens in us is spirit-led to where, yeah, you might need to make changes. That's the easy part, but the real work happens as you yield yourself to God and you reckon yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God. So this is all about Galatians chapter five, verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You say, what are the desires of the flesh? Well, he gives them to us. The desires of the flesh are, um, the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other. He says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, and then here enmity, strife, Jealousy, fits of angers, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, and it goes on drunkenness and orgies. He says, and, uh, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and then, of course, the big one, self-control. Self-control, the opposite of anger is self-control. It's humility. Say, God, I'm not in control. And, and Spirit of God in you gives you the self-control. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step. If verse, I'm sorry, verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. The promise of the gospel isn't that your behavior will change. It's that your heart will change. You say, how do I do that? Well, you stop and humbly acknowledge that you are not in control and you yield to God. Surrender. We come back to this word. Surrender, 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 surrender your rights uh, to control the outcome. You don't control the outcome. God does. You surrender your rights to control the outcome. You surrender your rights to be treated a certain way. You, no one owes you any kind of treatment. You go, but I'm American. I am deserving of a treatment. No, we're, we're children of God. And if you look at uh, the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, but the New Testament, every follower of Jesus was treated badly. And I think 11 out of the, well, 10 out of the 12 disciples ended up being killed for their faith. One took his life, you know, Judas, and and the only one who didn't die for the, he, he died of old age is John, uh, the beloved disciple. And so so we have no rights. I think I think we need to remember those things. This is the, the way of, of, of the spirit, the Jesus way. And so the last big um, thought here, your anger is often your God-given emotion that propels you towards redemptive action. But we've talked a lot, a lot about like this idea, like anger can be good, you know, God um, uh, was angry at sin on the cross. Uh, anger uh, is what led uh, Jesus to the cross, not anger at us, anger at sin, love for us, but anger at sin. The Bible presents God as the angriest character in all of scripture. When you think about it, there's a lot of anger of God, but what was he angry at? He was angry at sin. He was angry at the brokenness of the world. Again, this is a normal response to the brokenness of the world. Someday we will no longer be angry because the world will be heavenly. We will no longer have problems to be angry about. But God is also the most loving character in all of scripture. And, uh, and we see that again in the cross where God, because of his great love, was willing to put his wrath on Christ so that we would be freed from sin. And so, so we're not looking to change because we want to feel better, but because we want God to change us and to, and to live through us. And so, um, and so anger, so you say, so, so your anger is your God-given emotion that will propel you towards redemptive action. So, so when you feel anger at righteous anger, so when you see a problem that is a legitimate problem of brokenness, let's take sex trafficking as an example. I have many friends who do work with sex trafficking. Uh, refugee work is another example, but there's a lot of things, child abuse here in the United States, a problem of homelessness. The real problems that deserve anger at systems, anger at slavery. Back, William Wilberforce was a man who was instrumental in, in the abolishment of slavery. And so you think, what was it that propelled people like that to fight those righteous battles. Well, it was, it was this God-given emotion of anger towards evil. Now, how do you go from anger that leads uh, to Jonah's story, where he ended up being angry despite the repentance of people, to and and the person, and and I won't go into too many details as we're coming to the end of the time. But but the contrast of Jonah is King David. He wasn't a king yet, but in First Samuel, he was already anointed to be king. In First Samuel chapter twenty-five, the story of Samuel of, of David in the book of Samuel is the story where he um, uh, meets this man Nabal and he helps Nabal, and then he. Uh, he sends a message to Nabal and says, hey, I'm the one who helped you and, and saved you all of this money, basically, on taking care of your sheep. And Nabal's response to David is cruel. And he says, I don't even know David. I'm going to kill this David. And, and David is 
is, is like he was, at the time he was running away from Saul and he was looking to survive with his men. And so he just went into anger mode and he decided he's gonna go and take care of Nabal. So he gets his men and he starts down the path in First Samuel chapter 25 and he's going and to make no mistakes, he wants to kill Nabal and wants to destroy that family. And along the way comes Abigail, the wife of Nabal. And the story is, is a magnificent, magnificent story of a man whose anger was going to get the best of him. But along the way, he slows down, Abigail gives him a gift and, and, and reminds him of the truth. And she says, King David, you are anointed to be king. Just follow the path of what could happen. You can read the story in 1 Samuel chapter 25. It's riveting. And she literally walks him down the path. If you do this, if you go down and if you kill him, think about how that will hurt your legacy and your life and your testimony and all God wants to do in your life. And David listens to her. And, um, and he says to her, blessed be, in verse 32 of 1 Samuel, he says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And he does not go and he does not kill Nabal. He goes back home. It takes humility for a man of war to turn around who was already a man who had killed many. He had the ability to take care of this little man who did not have any kind of experience with fighting. And yet he turns his face around. He goes back. He repents of his way. And not much longer after that, Abigail um, goes back home also and Nabal dies a couple of days later, very, very quickly. Uh, why? It says, Abigail came to Nabal. Behold, he was holding a feast. And Nabal's heart was merry within him. He was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning. In the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things and his heart died within him and he became as a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. David did not have to take matters in his own hands. In fact, David, when he hears about it, he says, blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult that I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own hand, head. Romans 12 talks about the same thing. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Maybe you're struggling because you are angry about something that you righteously should be angry about. Listen, it's not your anger, it's how you respond to it that reveals whether you truly trust the Lord as the sovereign director of your life. If you really trust God and the outcome and, and, and him with the outcomes of your life, then you don't have to take the matter in your own hands. You can surrender it. Listen, surrendering it does not mean you don't fight the fight. Surrendering it means you allow God to fight the fight. Now, some fights are for us. God invites us into work that might help save lives. Again, case in point, William Wilberforce. Case in point, my friend Christine Kane, who did work with sex traffic people, our own ministry doing help with it. How the anger that we have has propelled us to do work that has changed lives. And so anger that is harnessed by the Spirit of God leads to change. Anger that is surrendered to the Spirit of God leads to peace. It's not up to me to change the world, but God in his mercy and his compassion uses us in this righteous anger fueled under the control of the spirit to make a difference in the world. And so the question now is, what kind of anger do you have? Is it a self-serving, self-honoring anger, or is it an anger that is truly honest about uh, lining up with what God hates? It is an anger that humbly can slow down enough and say, God, let me make sure, first of all, I'm angry about the right things here. I am not in control, you are. Uh, and would you use this anger for your kingdom and your glory? So uh, let us be people who are known for our kindness, but also people who use this anger at, at sin and this anger at the brokenness of the world to actually become used by God in order to shed the light of Christ all over the world. I really believe that God will use our anger in that capacity.